grace and peace to you from God our Father and from Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. The passage that, uh, that George just read, uh, it challenges us. It's the reading for today. And it challenges us with this question. Is Jesus really who he says he is? Is he really who he says he is? Throughout scripture, he makes claims. He makes claims that uh, he is the Messiah. He makes claims that he is uh, the very son of God, that he is God himself. And then, throughout those same gospels, we see him do things that, that back up these claims. He does miracles. Well, disciples, they spent three years with Jesus, and they witnessed him do these incredible things. But even they, after years of being with Jesus, still didn't completely uh, know how to answer that question. Is Jesus who he says he is? They question Jesus' divine claims. And that is what we see in that reading today, in Matthew 14. You see, the disciples, they had just witnessed a true miracle. They had just seen Jesus feed 5,000 people. This is a classic. This is one of the great miracles of Jesus, where he took, he took uh, five loaves of bread and two fish, and he transformed it into a meal for 5,000 people. And Matthew makes a point to say that it wasn't just 5,000 people. That 5,000 number didn't include women and children. So over 5,000 people were fed with just these five loaves and two fish, and they were so full, he gave so much in such abundance that there was 12 basketfuls left over. After this happened, the disciples, uh, Jesus dismissed the crowd. He dismissed the disciples, told them, you go on, go on ahead of me. And Jesus went out on a, onto a mountain to pray. Our gospel, the reading for today, it opens up with the disciples heading off, off onto the Sea of Galilee where they are met by a storm, a raging storm that is just uh, buffeting them about, just tossing them to and fro. Of course, this is not a storm that they couldn't handle, but you can imagine that dealing with such a storm, spending hours and hours in a storm like this, well, it'd be exhausting and tiring. That storm, it raged for hours. And as Matthew says, about the fourth watch of the night, which is around three or four in the morning, they see something. They look, they look across those raging waves, and they see a figure standing amongst those waves. Could it really be? What are they seeing? Is this person really among the waves? Who is this person? Well, the bleary-eyed and exhausted disciples, they wonder this, and they come to a conclusion. Their answer? It's a ghost! If you were standing, if you were uh, in, in a boat in the middle of Lake Erie, and you had just had to deal with a major storm, and you see a person standing out in the waves, who thinks that this is a reasonable conclusion? Yeah, I, I think it's a reasonable conclusion. If I was exhausted and, and in the middle of Lake Erie and I see somebody standing in the waves, yeah, a ghost, that makes sense. But the disciples, this, was not, uh, this is not just some ordinary, these are not just some ordinary dudes. This is not somebody out in the middle of Lake Erie. These are the disciples. 
the disciples of Jesus, men who for two years saw Jesus do incredible things, saw him cast out demons, raise people from the dead, disciples who heard Jesus say, I am God, disciples who just, uh, just a few a year or so earlier experienced a similar storm that almost killed them, that they were so terrified that they thought they were going to die, and they witnessed Jesus command the winds and the waves to be still. A ghost? No. You'd think that they wouldn't say ghost. They'd think, you'd think they'd say Jesus, but that's not what they said. They were terrified. They were terrified. Can you imagine being Jesus in this situation? He had spent two years with these guys, and he's standing right next to them, and they, he, they don't recognize him? Well, what does Jesus do? He doesn't walk away from him, does he? He doesn't just continue on and, and meets them on the other side. He doesn't send a wave to crash over their thick skulls. No, he doesn't do any of that. He tells them, do not be afraid. Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. This is where God is. That message, do not be afraid. It's something that we have to hear often. It's something that we have to hear all the time because, well, there's so many things in our lives that, that cause us to fear. I, I think at this point, it's almost a cliche to say that oh, the times that we're in are uncertain, right? That because of the events of the past couple months, a lot of fear has arisen in our lives, fear for health, fear for stability. I can't imagine being a parent out there, a parent right now. I, I feel for you guys, wondering what is going to happen with school, and even if uh, when school does start, what's going to happen? Who knows? There's a lot of fear. Of course, this is not something that we haven't dealt with before. We know what fear looks like. This is going to be, be, betray my age, but uh, as in I'm young. But I was in second grade when Y2K happened. You guys remember that? Anybody remember Y2K? Yeah, even though I was in second grade, everything, uh, all I heard, whether it was on the news or uh, it was a buzz on the playground, was, are the computers going to die? Are the computers going to crash? I had an uncle who stored up, uh, who stored up water in his basement because of, uh, because of the, uh, what was going to happen in Y2K. Fearful. Of course, we had actual fears, and fears happened to us a year later. Actual concerns. We experience fears in our day-to-day -day lives. We experience fears uh, in every age and in every day. They happen, both big and small. It's no wonder that this command, do not be afraid, it's the most common command in Scripture. From the very beginning of the fall, God has to tell Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. We need to hear this. The disciples were afraid. I think it's a little unfair, though, to compare our everyday, ordinary fears, fears that we actually can attribute some kind of cause to, with what they were experiencing. You see, the disciples, they weren't afraid of the storm. They had that storm under control. They, even though it was tiring, it was exhausting, it wasn't the storm that they were afraid of. 
It was this supernatural figure standing out in the waves where they shouldn't have been that startled them. It was Jesus Christ that startled them. What they were afraid of, what caused them to fear, was Christ. And it's because they didn't, uh, it's not what they expected of Christ. It's, he wasn't living up to their expectations. Their expectations were too low. Which begs the question then, what are your expectations of Jesus? Do you expect him to be standoffish? Do you expect him to, to, uh, to be aloof to your day-to-day problems? Do you expect God to only help those who help themselves, like Ben Franklin? Do you see him only as someone who handles your end-of-life issues or, or someone who shows you how to live a good life and be friendly? Is he a crusader of freedom or a fighter for justice? See, like the disciples, all too often our, experience, our expectations of God are down here, when in fact our God is up here. All too often our expectations are like the disciples in that boat. That these disciples, even after spending time and t- uh, so much time with him, they did not see him for who he truly was. We can go a lifetime, and we do go a lifetime, hearing about Jesus, hearing his word, experiencing, experiencing his grace, his blessing, his promises, hearing everything that he has for us, and yet still wonder, still harbor some doubt, still have a low expectation of who he is. That's one of the reasons why it's so important that we gather here together. God has blessed us with this family so that we can lift each other up, so that we can regularly remind ourselves, do not be afraid. Jesus Christ is who he says he is. We come to church, we gather together as a community to be reminded that that our God, he's not just some life coach telling us some five-step plan to succeed, and he's not some guru that reveals uh, some secret path to enlightenment. He is God. He is an authority over all things. Everything in this world he holds in his hands. And nothing can withstand his will. That's what we see today in, that, in, uh, in the gospel reading. We see Jesus Christ standing on top of the waves and commanding them. He strolls across the raving, raging sea as if he's walking across the street. In the gospels we see him raising people from the dead. He shouts into their graves and commands them uh, to come out. He commands death to release them. And he stands before their bedside and gently whispers into their ears, wake up, as if they're taking a nap. He casts out demons. He heals the sick. Our, Our Savior, our Lord, he went to the cross and he went to hell to, tell, uh, to show the devil who really was in control. And then on the third day, he rose from the dead to reveal to the world that he is who he says he is. He is God. He is Lord of all. His majesty, it is terrifying. That's what we see in the gospel reading for today. But we gather together to be reminded that we should not be terrified of him. 
that he is here to love us, to pour out his grace onto us. Of course, we often forget this, which is why we have to come regularly, why we gather regularly. Because that question, is Jesus really who he says he is? It always sits in the back of our mind. I know this because it sits in the back of my mind. We don't typically ask the question, God, are you really in authority? God, are you really the one who is in control? But we do act it out in the way that, uh, in our, in the way that we live. We doubt by indulging in our guilty pleasures or, or letting our anger get the best of us. We doubt by, by bending the rules, by, and, uh, by putting off the way that God instructs us to live in order to uh, pursue those things that we think will make us happy. We may not doubt God with our words, but we do it in our actions. We ask God for proof that he really is who he says he is. We want proof. And this is not just, this is not some new experience. This isn't something that only you experience. This is something that uh, Peter himself experienced. In fact, we see that in the gospel reading. We see that in, uh, in the story. Even after Jesus says, it is I, do not be afraid, what does Peter do? He challenges us. He's like, I'm not too sure, Jesus. I'm not too sure that is you. He says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus challenges, uh, Peter challenges Jesus. And it is here where we see the true nature of our Savior. Here we see that our God really is who he says he is. That he is powerful and almighty. He's standing on top of the waves. But he's also loving, compassionate, and patient. See, in this moment, we see our Lord humor Peter's doubt. He doesn't say to Peter, why are you challenging me? Don't challenge me. He says, all right, come on out. And... In amazement, Peter stands on top of the water. He starts walking towards his Savior, his Lord. And then he takes a look around, and he realizes that he's surrounded in a storm, and he starts to fear for the wind. And in that moment, he slips into the water. And yet again, we see our Savior's compassion. We see our Savior's love. Like Laura says, uh, like Laura said it earlier, Jesus immediately reached into the waves and pulled Peter up. Our Savior is compassionate. He's loving. He, he saves Peter. This man who, who didn't recognize Jesus when he was right next to the boat, he didn't, in the moment that Jesus actually identified him, Peter challenged him. And even... After Jesus agrees uh, to the proof that Peter is asking for, once he starts getting scared of the wind, Peter, uh, Jesus doesn't turn his back on Peter. Instead, he carries him. He lifts him up and take, carries him back into the boat. And what happens next? Does Jesus lecture him on, on uh, that he shouldn't challenge him? Does he... Uh, tell him that he's done, that he's no longer going to be his disciple, that he needs to pack up and head out because uh, he has no faith? 
No, he doesn't do any of that. Instead, he looks at Peter and he says, You of little faith, why do you doubt? He challenges Peter. He corrects him. And then they continue on in their journey. They continue on in their ministry. I think all of us can probably identify with Peter. Is God really going to take care of me? Is God really the God over death? When we die, is he really going to carry us into paradise with him? You see, he says that he has conquered death, but then we look around and we see this storm of death raging around us. Is Jesus really who he says he is? We often doubt because when we look around, it, it seems, uh, the world seems, as, uh, seems quite different than the way that God describes, uh, describes it in his word. Peter stood on the waves with the wind and the storm surrounding him, and he faltered because it didn't seem as if it was safe. Throughout the history of humanity, ever since the fall, this has been the case. God, ever since the beginning, has been in control. He has always been in authority. He has always been loving. He has always been compassionate. But so often we look out, and it doesn't seem that way. It doesn't line up with how we expect those things to play out. If you feel that way, that's okay. These, uh, these feelings, uh, the, the, these emotions about the tension that, that we feel between what we're experiencing and what God says, we see that in Scripture all the time. We see it in the Psalms. Oftentimes the Psalms are full of praise to God, but there are also psalms with deep lamentations. They're crying out to God because of what they're experiencing. Songs, psalms of anguish. Psalms such as Psalm 22, which opens up with those, quintessent, with those quintessential words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When faced with challenges, with hardships, when we're, we're facing just the, the regular day-to-day -day quandaries that, that life seems to throw at us, these issues that seem to contradict God's power and love, we can walk with the psalmist. We can walk with God himself as he carries us through this roller coaster of emotions and bring us back, brings us back to the truth. The truth that he revealed to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob that he revealed to Moses, and that he revealed to Peter. I am who I am. Take heart in his eye. Do not be afraid. You see, in all of these psalms, in all of these moments where it seems uh, that the psalmists feel as if God has abandoned them, they shout at God, they cry out to him, but they conclude. They conclude by, by asking God, uh, by, by reassure, being reassured of the faith that God has given to him. At the end of Psalm 42, one of these psalms that cries out to God in anguish, the psalmist ends by saying, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why, uh, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. You may be in the boat looking out at this raging storm of our world. You may be startled by it. 
You may be hearing these words and, and maybe skeptical. Is Jesus really who he says he is? Is God really in control? Is he really my savior? You may be asking God some, from proof, for some proof, just as Peter had. You may be stamping, stepping out on the water, or you may be sinking under the waves. No matter where you are, no matter what you're experiencing, do not believe that God is not there, that he is not standing over the waves, that he is not, uh, taking his, uh, he is not uh, putting his arm in the water to lift you up. He is. He is our God. He is an authority. He is our Lord. This is what he has proven to us time and time again. This is what we see throughout Scripture, that Jesus is an authority. He is who he says he is. We look around and wonder at all the death, but he is the one who has conquered death. He rose from the grave. We say this all the time, that he rose from the grave. And we, see, we read this in Scripture, that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. This is not an allegory. This is not some myth. This is fact. The fact that Jesus rose from the grave, it is rooted in history. He really did step outside of that tomb. People saw it. There are eyewitnesses to it. For that reason, we know that he conquered the grave, that he conquered death. And after he rose from the grave, he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father. Jesus Christ did not just conquer the grave for himself, but he hands us that very same victory. This is what he promises. He gives us this victory by the faith that he has poured out onto us by his spirit. Again, this is not idle speculation. This is not just some, uh, some myth, some fable. But this is the promise spoken to us by Jesus Christ himself. This is who our God is. See, what's so strange about our God is that he is gentle. That he doesn't come, into this, he doesn't come to us forcing us, uh, forcing us and forcing the world to submit to him. He comes to us gently. Instead of, with, of a sword, he comes to us with an olive branch, just as we saw with Peter, Peter and the disciples. Because Jesus, he is patient and compassionate. If you are afraid, if you are worried about what is going to happen with, with school or with the upcoming election or with the future of this pandemic or anything else, know that that's okay. Especially now, things are a little bit scary. It's true. Things are exhausting and tiring. But don't fall into the belief that God is not here with you or that he will not help you, uh, that he will only help you if you help yourself. See, that is not who our God is. Our God is the one who invites us to come to him, to cry out to him, to lay our troubles and our concerns at his feet. And for that reason, we can go to him just as the psalmist and let him hear our experiences and rest in the promises that he has given to us. Because what we have seen, what Christ has demonstrated to us, is that Jesus does what he promises. When Jesus took Peter up from the water, he said, you a little faith. I think we can all, we can all feel that. If Jesus looked at me, I'm sure he would say the same thing. I doubt, I struggle, 
you're in the same boat as me, don't lose heart. God is with us. When Christ says, uh, I will save you, when he gives us this promise of life, he doesn't say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Whoever believes in me enough will be saved, right? That's not how it goes. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Whoever believes in me shall not die. Whether that belief is a mustard seed or a mountain, he is with us. He sees that faith. He lifts us out of the water. We see this with Peter. Jesus didn't leave Peter on the shore. He didn't kick him out. He didn't say to Peter, you don't have enough faith for me. He continued to walk with Peter. And even after Peter denied Jesus three times, what did Jesus do? He forgave Peter three times. Jesus used Peter's tiny little faith to bring the life-giving word to thousands and thousands of people. The same is true for us. The same is true for us. Christ will carry us through this life, through death and into, parag- into paradise with him. Not because we have enough faith, but because he has given us faith through the Holy Spirit. Christ promises to save us. uh, promises us the faithful to save us. He's going to honor that promise. And so, I encourage you to go to him in all that you do. Believe in the promises of Christ. Believe and trust when uh, when he says things to you. That his will will be done. And as you do so, raise your expectations of God. Expect uh, don't expect him to, uh, to just only help you if you help yourself. Go to him in everything. Trust that he is there for you always. That he will do what he promises. That your salvation, your eternal life is secure with him. As Paul says, nothing can take us from the hand of God. This is a promise. And we can hold secure to that. So believe in the promises of God. But like Peter, know that we, know, we can't do it alone. Know that we often doubt. We question God. We struggle. For that reason, be in the community. Be in community with fellow believers. We need one another to be reminded of who, who God is, to be reminded of his promises. So come together. Enjoy this blessing. Speak God's truth to one another. Even though right now we live in a time of isolation and separation, That doesn't mean that we cannot speak God's truth to one another. That we can't lift each other up. So I encourage you to still be in community. To call one another. uh, to To share joy with one another. This is the gift that God has given to us. So is Jesus who he really says he is? Yes. Yes, he is our Lord and our Savior. He is God over all creation. And he will pull us from this chaotic world from these waves, and he will carry us into the new creation on the last day. This is what he promises us. He is our forerunner. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. So with that, we can join with the psalmist and say, praise be to him, our salvation and our God.
Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that, that you have given us your Son, that by him we have eternal life. That even though we may slip into the water like Peter, even though we may challenge you, even though we may doubt, you are there, you carry us, you give us your forgiveness, and you keep your promises to us. Lord, increase our faith. Keep our eyes focused on you and use us to lift each other up and to share your promises, your word, your grace to the world, Lord. All these things we pray in your holy name. Amen.